Hello everyone and welcome to the Book Lounge. Today we are talking about The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Your hosts as always are myself, Corinne Ritchie. And myself, Tom Butler-Bowden. And what we aim to do each week is take a great non-fiction book, old or new, and dissect it and discuss it. And uh, I'll give my my take and what I think the key points are and, and relevance for today. Yep, and I'll do the same. I'll weigh in and update you on the latest news about the title and the author. Um, So for in-depth knowledge about this book, we recommend two things. Um, So this podcast is brought to you by Memoed, so be sure to check out the savable, shareable 10-point memo on this book. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Um, And the second thing we recommend is listening to our Book Insights episode on this book, which is a more detailed summary, overview, and analysis. But here in the Book Lounge, it's more of just an informal chat on the book of the week. So this week, we are fortunate enough to have the director of the Adam Smith Institute, a.k.a. he's a pro, he's an expert, he knows it all, we've got a million questions. Um, He's also an economist and an author. Please welcome Eamon Butler. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, um, to talk about The World of Nations, uh, Adam Smith's great book. Um, Eamon, I just wondered, before we kick off, um, how did you sort of come to Adam Smith originally? I mean, what was your, your path to directing the Institute, etc.? Well, I did study Adam Smith uh, when I did a PhD. I studied his moral uh, writings. Um, and then uh, in the 1970s, like many other people, I joined the brain drain, went to America, um, found some interesting ideas in public policy that were thought unthinkable in, in the UK. And colleagues and I came back to the UK and started uh, the Institute, and we named it after Adam Smith, um, because Adam Smith believed in free markets and trade and competition and all of these good things, and those are the sorts of things that we wanted to bring back to the uh, to the British economy. Got it. Um, and um, uh, also, uh, just before we begin, we, we usually ask uh, our guest, you know, You've written a lot about uh, Adam Smith's theories and so on, but, um, you know, personally, what's sort of one thing that you've taken from his from his life and work? Oh, golly. Well, there's a long life and a lot of work, so it's hard to take <laughs> yeah. just, just one thing. I mean, I, I think... What... I mean, do you do you get to points and think, what would Adam Smith do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's very difficult to... Uh, um, to look into the mind of an 18th century writer and say, well, what, what would they think about modern politics? Because it's just things are just so different. I think what's interesting about Smith is that people think of him as being an economist. But in fact, um, he rose to fame and, and became quite wealthy um, on the back of a book about um, moral philosophy, uh, which is a, a groundbreaking book. And really, what you need to do with Smith is to regard him as being uh, not an economist, not a philosopher, but but, uh, um, a social psychologist. He looks into the human mind and says, how does it work? How does economics work? How does politics work? Uh, He did a series of lectures on that. How how does um, morality work? Um, And it's about social psychology. And and that is, uh, I think, his main achievement. In terms of the wealth of nations, uh, his, his great book that we remember today. I think it was, it was again, it was not that he was the, if you like, the founder of economics, but because lots of people have been thinking about economic uh, issues uh, long before. 
But what he did is he systematized it into something that is recognizably modern economics. So he's, he's if you like, the architect. He put it all together and in, in this fabulous book, which is full of facts and full of insights. Yeah, so let's go back to the beginning, try and set the scene for people who've never read the book. And it is a long like a book. Um, I did a version of it where I sort of, uh, what's the word, did a shortened version of it because there are lots of bits of it where he just goes on and on and on about detailed stuff from the late 1700s that we wouldn't necessarily be interested in today. But, um, yeah, he was born in 1723, Scottish. Um, he, he was teaching moral philosophy, as, as Eamon says, um, writes this book, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, which is less well-known today. Um, and uh, so the book comes out in 1776, um, and it seems to be pretty popular uh, from the beginning, partly because of Adam Smith's style of writing. It's, um, it wasn't very academic. Um, the person who could read could sort of understand it. And he also fearlessly criticising the rulers of his day. Um, and at the time, um, the, I think the zeitgeist was that the, the rulers of countries believed that they were totally in control, um, that they were the drivers of wealth. And, um, you know, they, they tried to sort of hoard gold and silver and so on to increase their power and wage wars and so on. Um, but then Adam Smith comes along and um, he's got this book, The Wealth of Nations. And so, Eamon, um, in your mind, what was, what was the revolutionary about the book? What made it different to what had come before in terms of the actual ideas? Well, I think, I think two things. It was, as I say, a great systematization of economics. He, he ranges all over the world, you know, from Peru to China to um, Orkney in the, in the north and, and uh, you know, Chile in the south. Um, he, he ranges over the whole world, finds lots of examples, and weaves them into this system of uh, what we now recognize as being modern-day um, economics. And there's lots of insights um, along, along the way. So I, I think that, that is, that's really the first uh, thing. Um, but uh, going beyond that, I, I, I mean, it was, if you, as you say, it wasn't an academic book. It was actually a rant. And it was a rant against uh, what Smith called, or what was called at the time, uh, mercantilism, which is that trying to beggar your neighbour, um, that you, you, you raise tariffs um, to stop people importing goods into your country, um, and you subsidise your industries so that you can export more to other people. Uh, and this, uh, Smith said, is just economic nonsense, uh, because when people trade, both sides benefit. It, it doesn't just benefit the seller. It's not just about getting cash in. It's about what you produce. And you produce more if you're trading uh, freely with other people. So um, it, it was a, a message very much aimed at the thinkers and uh, politicians of the day. Um, and it, it had enormous uh, effect because they all read it uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. All of the political leaders read Adam Smith. Uh, and so uh, that message eventually got through. And in, in the 19th century, because of it, you had the great era 
of free trade where uh, the, the world got fabulously rich in a very short time. So I'm curious what you would say for, for someone who's watching us on YouTube or listening to our podcast, if they are completely unfamiliar with Wealth of Nations. And, you know, typically the books on this show tend to be in the like self-help or motivation or business, something instantly applicable. So what do you say to those folks who are completely unfamiliar as to why, um, you know, how this could be relevant to them or what might be in it for them to read Wealth of Nations, what the value is, I guess? I think probably none, actually. Uh, because, okay, fair uh, <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> because as, as Tom says, it's, it's a huge book. It's a sprawling, elephantine book, 900-odd pages. Uh, there are 70 pages, which is a digression on the price of silver. That's just a digression. Mm. So it's hugely long, and it's written in 18th century, uh, you know, rather florid 18th, 18th century language, very good language, but... Uh, again, many people don't get that. I, you know, you need to read Tom's version, or you need to read. I, I wrote a, a condensed Wealth of Nations, which is um, an, an less than a hundred pages. <laughs> That's much much easier. We, we can link uh, to both in the show notes. We'll we'll add those links. Folks can just go to the condensed ones. Yep, yep, here for it. But I said, but I think I'm, I mean, all you've got to do actually is read the first three paragraphs because um, just at the beginning of the book. Uh, he says that uh, wealth isn't about uh, having cash, uh, gold and silver in, in, the, in the vault. It's about the product of a nation, what a nation produces. Right. So in the first sentence, he's got the idea of what we now call gross national product. And then he says, uh, but of course, that depends on how many people you've got. The more people you've got, the more product you're going to have. So in the second sentence, right, this is... Uh, GDP per capita he comes up with. And then he says in the third sentence, he says, of course, you know, um, in any society, there will be many people who can't work because they're too old or they're too young, so on and so on, um, and they're not in the workforce. And there you've got the idea of productivity. So just in the first page, you have economic concepts which we're still using 260-odd years later. So it's, I mean, it's just breathtaking, actually, just, yeah, just to, yeah. to dip into it. and it, uh, uh, It's incredible. Yeah, dip into it and, and just find all these little examples and, and so on and just read it for pleasure. Yeah, um, there, are, there are many things in the book that have become famous. Um, uh, one of them comes to mind is this idea about specialization of labor um, and the, the pin factory. Um, so instead of... Uh, instead of having one person making a pin from beginning to the end, it's a lot more efficient to separate the tasks out. Um, each person does one little bit of the process. And we take things like that for granted now. You know, that's what mm -hmm. factories are based on. But in his time, it wasn't obvious, you know, at all, where people often lived on farms, they tried to be self-sufficient, they do everything themselves. Um, so yeah, just the basis of the of the modern economy. Um, but I think we should probably talk about some of the actual values that Smith really promoted. Um, he had this idea of natural liberty, um, which basically means the freedom uh, that people should should have to pursue their lives and to make things, build things, prosper, and so on. Um, again, that's sort of something we take for granted now. Um, but uh, 
uh, Eamon, how much do you think this I, this idea of of personal freedom and the and the ability to sort of pursue your own ends in life, um, how important is that to, to Adam Smith? Oh, it's hugely. Again, it's 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 what the book is actually about. Um, it, you know, what he what he's saying is that that politicians. Um, think that they can run everything. They think they know enough to run an economy. But in fact, economic life is far more complicated than, than you think it is. And he takes the example of um, what he calls a, a simple workman's woolen coat and shows how there are thousands upon thousands of people from you know, farmers raising the wool and, and people processing the wool and dyeing the wool and bringing dyes in ships uh, across uh, the sea and all the rest of it. There are thousands of people involved even in that little production. Um, and the idea that, um, that politicians, uh, kings and ministers um, can organize all of that stuff is, is just pie in the sky. And what he says is we should rely instead on the, the simple uh, system of natural liberty. And that by doing your own thing and uh, pursuing your self-interest, um, and being part of a competitive process, uh, a competitive productive process, um, actually uh, it leaves everybody far better off, particularly, in fact, the working poor, because in politics the working poor don't, don't get much of a say. Whereas if they're free, if you deregulate and they're free to produce things and, 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 and follow their own interests, then they will rise um, to, uh, to, to a degree of wealth very much more quickly. So he's very, very focused on the importance of uh, uh, freedom, economic and social freedom, uh, for the the poorest members of society. Yeah. And can you speak to a little bit of sort of what that freedom that he was speaking about, like what is he speaking against at that time? To give a little historical context, sort of what is he trying to break out of? What is What system was in place at the time that he's saying, you know, this doesn't work, this is not serving the country? Well, it was, it was very much that um, uh, polit politicians um, thought that they could control trade. Uh, and Smith was saying, actually, in controlling trade, you are killing trade. And, and, and then in killing trade, you're killing our mutual prosperity. So, so, so that was one thing. In terms of running the domestic economy, again, uh, you must remember in Smith's lifetime, I mean, there were all sorts of rules and regulations um, on business and um, an artisan couldn't travel from one town to another even. Um, there were different uh, sources of different kinds of money in different, different places. And, uh, and there were... Um, laws against labour-saving devices like the, the stocking frame that, that could produce um, uh, hosiery much more efficiently. So there were all these rules and regulations and what Smith is basically saying is if you scrap those and you just let people get on with their own lives, they amazingly collaborate together in a way which is far more efficient uh, than uh, any, any politicians, kings and ministers could ever imagine. So that's really yeah. what, what, he's, what he's on about, I think. And do you think that that system had been in place because it was sort of each country for himself, each city, each town, it was very, like, oh, they wanted to isolate people or it was just about control? Or why do you think it had been that way at that time? Well, I, th I think it is that, uh, that people didn't understand. And it, and it was Adam Smith who explained this, that, that Adam Smith explained that when people trade, both sides are better off. 
People would always assume that in a trade, somehow the person who ends up with the money is better off. Uh, it's a perfectly reasonable, <laughs> wrong but reasonable assumption, right? Uh, that, and, and therefore, if you go into a shop, um, the shopkeeper is, is made better off and you're made somehow worse off. <laughs> well, Adam Smith said, well, look, you wouldn't enter a trade, you wouldn't enter a transaction unless you thought you were going to be at least as well off and hopefully better off than you are before. And that by... Uh, trading things that we value differently, both of us improve our own values. Uh, that um, I, I value the money that I pay to the shopkeeper less than the bread uh, that I get in return. And the shopkeeper values the bread less less because there's plenty of it on the shelf. Uh, so uh, in trade, both sides benefit. And, and I think the mercantile system, as it was called, um, grew up because people assume that we have to make money out of trade. Uh, it's no good unless we're exporting stuff and getting gold and silver in return. Uh, and we certainly don't want these nasty foreigners getting our gold and silver. So that's really why all, all this uh, regulation uh, was, was built up, not just in, on international trade, but on domestic trade as well. And it's important to, to point out that Adam Smith certainly wasn't anti-government. Um, he laid out some pretty clear um, guidelines for what what the state should be in, involved in and and what it shouldn't be. So I think some of the things he saw, he, he, I think the words he used were the umpire of a great game. That's sort of how he imagined it. So things like um, educating the poor, basic education, uh, courts and justice, um, I think roads and bridges, mm -hmm. public works that individuals wouldn't pay for themselves, mm -hmm. and then um, also defence. Um, so out of this strong but limited government, you would get freedom, prosperity and security. Um, so, Eamon, do you think, um, I mean, people have sort of used and misused Adam Smith's Mm -hmm. uh, for their own for their own um, reasons over time, um, but uh, do you think that this sort of recipe for government is still one we should be listening to, or or have things become so complex now that it's it's a bit antiquated? Yes, uh, the, the the material on what government should do is not the best part of uh, the Wealth of Nations. I think it, it took Smith 15 years to write the Wealth of Nations, and by the end of it, his friends were getting a bit fed up and saying, yeah, come on, Smith, you've got to finish this book. And and so uh, the stuff about what government should do is in, in the last book, and I it, it, it looks a bit rushed uh, to me. Um, but generally speaking, you're right. Um, and and the those functions... Um, protecting the liberty of your citizens um, from foreign attack, defence, uh, and from domestic uh, violence and fraud uh, through the justice system. That's a big deal. You know, that, that's a lot for a government to do. That's an important function. And the other things like uh, education. Smith himself was uh, a beneficiary of um, local government uh, education, uh, and he felt that that was, that was important. Um, he was a bit confused about how to do it, but still he, he felt it was important. Uh, and providing infrastructure, um, roads, bridges, harbours, the things which would allow trade and commerce to 
to prosper and, and uh, proceed. Uh, so he thought those things were very important. And I think, you know, I, I think most of us would agree uh, those are the things which government should focus on today. Of course, people have added lots of other things like you know, welfare policies that didn't exist in Smith's time. Um, but uh, to me, as, as, as a, you know, I think of myself as a, um, a liberal in the European sense, uh, that I, I, I think, yes, uh, defence, justice, uh, provision of some infrastructure, yes, absolutely, that's what the government really wants to focus on. Uh, and it probably does too much when it tries to do lots of other things. Now, if people today, as Tom had said, try to, you know, sort of wield Adam Smith and his work into their own agenda, um, you know, how neatly do you think Adam Smith fits into a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, you know, in the modern sense here in the States? Like, how how, how neatly does he squeeze into any of those boxes? Well, you, you know, you might as well ask what he would have thought about airport expansion. I don't, sure, <laughs> sure, I think, sure. I think yeah. things are just rather yeah. different today. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. know that he was... He was, uh, in his own time, he was a, a Whig, which means that he was uh, uh, sort of against the more conservative elements. He, um, he was um, uh, a bit of a radical, actually. Uh, and, of course, it, it, this is true, that, that he was attacking uh, an existing political system. Um, so by coming up with new ideas and saying, yeah, actually, ordinary people are very important in this. It's just, it's not all about kings and ministers and politicians. It, it, it's about ordinary people. So, you know, let them uh, come through. So I, I think I think that's very difficult to, um, to interpret in terms of modern party uh, divisions and things like that, because it's, um, Smith was very much his own person, and uh, uh, his philosophy, I think, doesn't fit in any, any neat uh, boxes, but is interesting and radical for all, this, all of that. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing, surely he, we can wonder um, what he thought about. We live in an age of globalisation, um, and he was, I think he railed against the East India Company and the colonization of, of America and so on. Um, uh, Eamon, what, uh, why did he, why was he against that? Why did he think um, Britain should pull out of, of America in his time? Well, it, he thought that the, the Americans were very hard uh, done by, um, by their colonial masters, which I think the Americans thought as well. Um, and uh, it's a great shame, really, that the, the Wealth of Nations only came out in March uh, 1776. Um, and, and there's speculation that Smith actually delayed it by writing and rewriting uh, a, a couple of chapters on, uh, on the colonies. Uh, because he was, according to um, uh, David Hume, his uh, the philosopher and, and a, Smith, a friend of Smith, uh, Smith was uh, zealously interested in the affairs of, of the Americans. Um, and he thought that uh, all of the regulations that, that were on them, like they could only sell goods to Britain, they couldn't sell to other countries, uh, and all of the taxation uh, that was imposed on them, uh, simply to enrich uh, Britain, uh, that that was all um, wicked. And indeed, more than wicked, it was counterproductive. That, that it, it reduced prosperity on both sides and it reduced prosperity in, in Britain as well as being in America. So he was very much uh, against uh, colonies in general, actually, 
um, and he thought that they were a, a, a kind of government enterprise and they were done for vanity and conceit uh, rather than for genuine economic uh, progress. And the best way to produce uh, wealth and prosperity across the world uh, was actually to open up to, to free trade. So, uh, yes, he, he was very anti-colonial. And, and that went for slavery as well. I mean, in the, wealth, in the fear of moral sentiment, he described slavery as being an extremely brutal system run by the worst people in society. And then in the wealth of nations, um, he goes a bit further than that and says, well, slavery isn't even economic. It, uh, you can't get good work out of people if you've got to force them to do it. Uh, if their heart isn't in it, you know, then they're not going to be as productive as, as other people who, uh, who are. And, and, and that, I think, uh, was aimed really at the, the slave owners themselves uh, in America and in other countries. Uh, because that's the sort of thing that they would understand. You, you could call them brutal and then say, well, get, get lost. But uh, point out that their system doesn't even produce the goods, and that, he thought, might, might change their minds. Yeah. Um, so he was very interested in productivity, I guess, and efficiency, which sort of laid the groundwork for the Industrial Revolution. But he is also a moral philosopher, so I was just interested, I mean, what was his take on something like the dignity of work? Um, because under his system, like, a lot of work lost its dignity uh, in factories and so on. So how did he sort of reconcile that? Well, uh, Smith was writing uh, before the, um, the Industrial Revolution really started. Yes, there was a specialisation. Um, and it was very much more productive, as he pointed out. In fact, in his example of the pin factory, I once worked out, where there were 18 people making pins. And uh, I, I, I did the calculations, and I worked out that from his description, they could produce 48,000 times as many pins as any one person working alone could do. So, so that was, that was uh, starting to happen. But... The, the sort of Marxist uh, idea of it, of alienation and so on, that, that hadn't really taken hold yet. Um, and, and it would be another 100 years be before uh, Marx started to, to point that sort of thing out. Um, mm -hmm. but, but he was very, very interested in improving the lot of the working poor. Uh, and he thought, again, that they, they had a, a really raw deal, uh, partly because they weren't allowed to do the things that they wanted to do. And that what they want to do is, like everybody else, Smith uh, called it the, um, the, the natural uh, effort to uh, better your improvement, to, to improve your, your status. And he wanted people to be able to do that without let or hindrance. Uh, so, yes, he was very, very interested in the, the quality of life uh, of the poorest people in particular. Mm. So I think that leads us into the question... I'm not sure in the States, in the UK, you have this term, the nanny state, um, where every the state tries to get involved in every part of people's lives. Um, now, if you're alive today, looking at the pandemic, okay, he was into providing public goods that individuals wouldn't provide. So I'd imagine that the uh, pandemic response uh, at least on the vaccine side, is very much a public good, i.e. public health. 
Um, but would he have agreed with the stimulus response um, and all the public measures uh, about restricting people's movements and sort of helicopter money into people's accounts? Well, um, what are your thoughts on that, Eamon? No, I don't think I don't think he would. He was um, uh, he was curiously from for a person who uh, was against so many regulations. Um, he was curiously in favour of banking regulation. And that's partly because there was a major bank collapse uh, just as he was writing the, the Wealth of Nations, and it really hit the Scottish uh, economy, you know, his local economy. Um, so he was very much in favour that the bank should be regulated in order to ensure that their money was sound, because the banks in those days uh, produced their own, their own money. Um, so I, I, I think he would put a great, again, you know, we're, 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 we're attributing ideas to somebody who's died 200 years ago, but I, I think that he would be uh, very much in favour of sound money. So I think he would be, I think, slightly alarmed at the rate at which we're creating money through quantitative easing on both sides of the Atlantic uh, and, in, and indeed in other countries. So, um, yes, I, I, I think he would be questioning the, the expansion. He'd certainly be questioning the subsidy systems where politicians try to grow their way uh, back by subsidizing particular industries uh, and, and, and just you know, throwing money at, at businesses. Uh, because, uh, he, again, he would say, well, well you know, that's money which is being taken from from one cause and, and, and being spent in a, in a political way. But also, um, if you let people do their own thing, they'll actually produce a lot more value uh, than they would if, if you try to take people's money and, and throw it at other people. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I found most fascinating about this book is the the that like concept of self-interest and how Adam Smith sort of utilizes that rather than like shaming it in any kind of way or um trying to work against that human nature of self interest. He talks about its value and what it can do for a society. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about, on that and like how it resonated at that time and how we still see that today. Yes, it, it, yes, it's all about human nature. The um, scholars in the 18th century, in the Scottish Enlightenment in particular, um, were, uh, you know, believed in the basic goodness of human beings. They believed in the improvement of human beings. Uh, they wanted human beings to be able to improve themselves. And uh, self-interest they regarded as being something which was perfectly understandable and natural. And indeed, if you weren't interested in yourself, you'd be dead, right? Because you wouldn't do all the right things right. that you needed to preserve your own life. But there's a big difference yeah. between uh, self-interest and greed. Um, uh, my, my father ran a, a small uh, garage filling station. Uh, and uh, he was, of course, interested in uh, earning enough money to look after uh, his family and himself, um, uh, and including me. Uh, but uh, if he tried to be greedy, you know, if, if he had cheated people or given them bad value, then he wouldn't have had much of a business in a few years' time. Um, it was because he was honest about uh, 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 pursuing his self-interest, uh, that he did it in a way that benefited other people, that they would come into the business and they would leave 
with, with something that was of value to them. And uh, so that's, that's the difference. Uh, the difference is between self-interest and greed. And I think a lot of people today just don't understand that difference. But it's absolutely crucial to the 18th century, it's absolutely crucial to Adam Smith, absolutely crucial to understanding economics today. Yeah. Um, I think all his work as a moral philosopher is forgotten now. Um, well, not forgotten, but less celebrated. Um, and I think all the people that use Adam Smith to uh, to sort of push their particular barrows forget all about um, that side of him. He seems to be a very sort of humane uh, person. Um, Eamon, I mean, what can you what can you tell us about you know Adam Smith, the person, um, and how he sort of conducted himself and his friends, etc. I think he was a typical absent-minded academic, actually. Um, <laughs> it's said that he once put uh, bread and butter into the teapot instead of tea, uh, and then uh, he was showing uh, a young scholar, Duke of Buccleuch, who, who was uh, a young student at the time, showing him around tanning work and uh, works, and wasn't looking where he was going, and fell into the tanning pit. Uh, and there's another story about how he was wrapped up in some uh, intellectual problem and uh, wandered off, and it was only uh, after uh, a, a long walk that he realised that he was in the next town and still in his dressing gown. So it, it was sort of absent-minded like that. Um, he was, um, I think, a very quick thinker. Uh, he was um, a good a good teacher um, when he... Uh, resigned a little early in order to teach the Duke of Buccleuch um, exclusively. But he resigned early from a teaching post in, in Glasgow. And uh, in those days, the students paid their professors. And uh, Smith had worked out how much money he owed all the students um, for the time that they, they didn't get. And they, they put it back in his pockets. They wouldn't, let it, they wouldn't take it because they thought they'd had such great value. But the thing about Smith was he was a great listener um, he loved going to all the, uh, the, the clubs, the sort of intellectual clubs at the time. He founded uh, a couple of clubs. And uh, he, uh, he listened to everything that people say. When, when, when he toured, went on with the Duke of Buccleuch, went on the, the grand tour of Europe, um, you know, he met Voltaire, he met all of the, uh, the great French economists, and he picked up enormous volumes of facts and figures and, and factoids uh, which he weaves into this great tapestry that is the, the wealth of the nations. Um, so he was uh, a remarkable man. Everybody liked him. He, he didn't have any enemies. Uh, and he just loved uh, debate and, and speculation. Um, so um, I think he would have been a great, uh, a great person to know. I think he would have had to, to get, get, get under, under his skin, so to speak. You'd, you'd have, you'd have to, he, he, he might be a bit cold at first, but I think once you've got to know him, I just think he'd be a, an amazingly interesting uh, person to know. Yeah, definitely one of these people, if you can have your imaginary uh, dinner party, <laughs> people yeah. from history, that I would love to put him at the seat of the table. Um, yeah. But uh, I, think that, guys, I, I, I think what you say about his humanity, I, I think that comes in very strongly. And I think, as I say, it's... Yeah. Economics is part of the social psychology, and and the other part of the social psychology, which which Smith did do, do a book on, is that, that, that moral philosophy book, 
is um, our what he calls sympathy. We would say empathy today, empathy for other people, and you can feel that coming through, not just in Smith's um, uh, work on moral philosophy, but actually in the wealth of nations. You know, people think, oh, it's all about capitalism, red in tooth and gold. No, it's not. It's uh, it's about how do we better everybody's position particularly those um, who haven't got much going for themselves. So using Adam Smith as a weapon of like just the cold, hard facts and money and, uh, you know, free market capitalism sounds like that's a misattribution. Oh, you know, it's a complete uh, misunderstanding of what, of what the man, indeed what the 18th century was all about. Hmm. Mm. Um, I even, uh, every episode we... Um, we give a sort of summation of what we what we liked about the book that we're discussing and, and a rate and a, uh, a rating out of five. Um, Corinne, would you like to start? Sure. Well, you know, hearing from Eamon that um, Adam Smith walked around in his jammies, he liked the clubs, it was all <laughs> about creative ways to make money. I mean, this is a guy after my own heart. So, you know, I, I relate so deeply in all these ways. So uh, I'll, I'll give it some star, some some bookmarks for that. Um, I will admit history is not my genre. I, I got to say, as much as I love Hamilton, and I'm so excited that he's friends with some of my favorite characters from Hamilton, <laughs> I, you know, I, it, it's not my genre. But, you know, I'll give it three bookmarks because it is it feels a bit like a treasure hunt, uh, just as Eamon said, where you're looking for those glimmers of bits and pieces that you can recognize from today's politics, from today's economy. And um, and, you know, and Adam Smith is referred to constantly in pop culture and and just in conversations. Um, so it is cool to see how his original work relates and how it's been twisted over the years, how he as a person has been twisted to fit different people's agendas. So interesting, not immediately useful. Uh, I don't read fiction and I'm not that this is fiction, but it, it starts to feel that way when it's so, you know, far removed from my current day reality. So uh, yeah. I'll give it three, but Adam Smith, him and me, we're here. We're here. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a read, um, I would only give it, uh, three because I remember I, it's probably 10 years ago that I, I read it and it was tough going in bits. Uh, on the other hand, I'm very glad I did, you know, it's like reading Proust or something. It's like, <laughs> you can say you, um, and, but the thing in terms of ideas, what I, what I get from it mostly um, is, as Eamon says, it's, it's sort of like the psychological aspect. Um, and there's nothing utopian about his philosophy. That's what I love. If you read Marx or, or Lenin or all the, the communist thinkers, you know, they're building up a sort of utopia of how humanity could be, you know, if we build this, we'll do that. Smith's almost the opposite. He sort of assumes human fallibility. And through that, through people acting through their own self-interest to provide for their family or ambition or whatever, in the, the end result is actually a pretty good society. And for me, that's, that's his great contribution. Um, and, and that's why I put the, the Wealth of Nations, you know, up here. Yeah, and, well, I have to give it five out of five, don't I? I've got to give it five. I've got to give it five stars. Um, no other rating. But I, I, yes, I, I'm in. Uh, I, w I would add. I think the language is superb. 
Uh, I just think it, it's so beautifully written. Um, and uh, there's a, often a sort of impish humour in it. Uh, he, he talks about subsidies to, uh, uh, for fishing uh, vessels. And he says, uh, of course, what happens is that the fishing vessels uh, set out equipped not to catch the, catch the fish, but to catch the subsidy. <laughs> and, <laughs> so true. And yeah. all of these things. And there's just, and there's just these little little barbs uh, are right through it. Uh, and it was lit, written in a language. It's not a, an academic book, so to speak. It's, it's written in a language which people at the time could certainly um, understand. But it, I, I think, you know, Tom, you're absolutely right. It, it is completely relevant to today. You look at it and you see the arguments in favour of free trade and you think, gosh, that's absolutely the same today. The arguments uh, in favour of deregulating uh, commerce, yeah, absolutely the same today. The arguments about how uh, ministers and politicians uh, do things that they think are going to be to work well, but actually have unforeseen consequences that are disastrous. Yeah, we've seen that over and over and over. So, and the humanity of it comes out uh, again. Um, you know, he is a moral philosopher, uh, first and foremost, and that humanity does come out through the entire text. Mm. Um, usually, thank you. Uh, at the end, we say what the author is up to at the moment <laughs> and recent books and so on. Uh, Corinne, I'm not sure you you came up with anything there. <laughs> well, so uh, I guess the question is: so what's been happening since 1776? My answer: not much. <laughs> so, um, so when Wealth of Nations, when it was first released in 1776, it sold out in six months. So we just can't emphasize how people clamored for this book uh, because, as we've been talking about, it was revolutionary at its time. It was saying ideas that uh, people hadn't put out in this public kind of a way. Um, it shaped global policy as Smith had close relationships with uh, Benjamin Franklin, with Thomas Jefferson. Um, his book was cited before Congress by James Madison. So there's just so much um, influential stuff in it that it, it literally shaped policy and government. Um, it's gone down in history as one of the most influential economic books ever written. Um, Alexander Hamilton, Karl Marx, even whole countries and governments were impacted by this work. And it's shaped conversations for um, the best way, like uh, conversations around the best way for countries and economies to thrive for centuries now. So um, five editions of The Wealth of Nations were published during Smith's lifetime. And now numerous have appeared since. And a couple of those we will link in the show notes as we talked about sort of the uh, condensed straight to the point cut out the price of corn and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> yes and, and do remember i mean uh, as well as being multiple editions during his lifetime there were multiple translations it was translated into uh, into russian and you know you name it uh, translated all, all over the place so it was an extremely influential book uh, and and it did set the foundations of the um, the great 18th century, uh, 19th century free trade era. Um, and I think that if you look through all the great books uh, that, that you can think of uh, from, you know, Newton's Principia um, to, to, to whatever, well, even, even Das Kapital, Marx. But I mean, you have to have the wealth of nations in that collection. It's one of the greatest books that humanity has produced. Mm. Um. Yes, and um, I'm reminded of uh, John Maynard Keynes' famous quote, 
that um, people who think they're sort of great, you know, independent thinkers and so on, actually, when you drill down, they they are sort of what he calls the slaves of some defunct economist. <laughs> you know, back in history, that they're not even aware that they that their views are based on someone's views in the past. And I think that couldn't be more true uh, with Adam Smith. Um, but if you if you're listening or watching this and you want to get really into the deeper into the ideas in the book itself in a more sort of uh, systematic way, uh, we've also got the book insight uh, on the wealth of nations uh, in addition to this informal discussion. So uh, do make sure you listen to that as well. That's right. And also uh, check out the show notes for the memo. So uh, memo is all about quick learning uh, in written form. So the memo is bullet points all about this book. Uh, and again, that link is in the show notes. Um, as always, you can connect with us at Book Insights Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, and Eamon, thank you so much for being our guest. If people want to connect with you or your work or anything uh, that you've got going on coming up, what's the best way to connect with you? I think if you Google Adam Smith Institute, you will find uh, what I do and uh, ways of contacting me. It's easy enough. Awesome. All right. We'll be sure to link to the Adam Smith Institute as well. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate all your expertise and knowledge on this book. Uh, I think people are going to really enjoy learning something new today. So thank you for joining us, Eamon. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Eamon. All right. And thanks all. Um, hope you'll check in again for a new episode of Book Insights and a new book lounge as we talk about a new nonfiction book that can change your life or make you think. Thanks for joining us here on the Book Lounge. <laughs>